speaks to us, that we'll hear your word and that we'll respond to it in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Great. Lovely to see everyone. Good to be with you. It's great to have a bit of a full house after a bit of a quieter Christmas and New Year. It's good to see you all. Um, We're going to be in Acts 2, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. If you've got one, don't worry if you don't. It'll pop up on the screen in a little bit. Uh, We're in the, uh, just at the end now, this is the last one, in a series called Discover Life. Ros just told you that we're changing our name from New Life Christian Fellowship to Life Church Beckles. Um, We just felt that there was a a change in season for us, a a kind of um, changing gears, um, and changing our name was was part of that, uh, and that Life Church Beckles would be a good name for us, so so we're doing that next week. And uh, we've been refreshing kind of what Jesus' aim and purpose for us is, a ch- is as a church. And now we've been looking at what commitment um, to church life looks like. We've looked at um, uh, who commits themselves to life church. We've looked at why we would commit ourselves um, to church. And, um, and now we're looking at how. Um, so that's what we're in at the moment. Uh, after this uh, after this talk, next week we're starting a new series um, called... Uh, faith for life. Um, it's going to be a, an Old Testament series based on the cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11. Uh, Jesus promised us that in life we will have trouble. <laughs> so he'll be faithful to his promises, don't forget. <laughs> in this life we will have trouble. And following him doesn't mean that we're immune to suffering, to setbacks, to struggles and sometimes to periods of stagnation. Um, but these, uh, the lives of ordinary heroes in Hebrews 11 will help us be confident in God, will help us be confident in his promises to us, so that we can persevere through all that life throws at us and look forward to Jesus' return. So we're looking forward to a series in that. We're looking at Old Testament heroes of the faith, ordinary folk who follow God faithfully. And learning from them. So that's what we're going to next. But today we're looking at um, how we commit ourselves um, to church life. What does commitment to Jesus as part of Life Church Beckles look like? And what's the process for us uh, doing that? And uh, I'm just kind of wary that um, speaking on this today, I'm going to give us six things that I think uh, commitment to church life looks like. But I'm really wary as I do that, that it could just feel like it's a list of things to do, the things, a, a bunch of things that you kind of a, achieve, um, perhaps things that you tick off, or that in order to earn your place as part of the church family, you've got to do these six things. Um, but that's not quite how we want to understand what commitment looks like. It is just enough just to come and be, isn't it? You know, Jesus has saved you, he's made you part of his church, and here you are. And if that's all you can manage... The grace of God enables you to do that. And what we're talking about today is what Jesus' fullness of life as part of a church family looks like. Uh, each of us will be on different parts in our journey, won't we? Some of the things I talk about today, you'll think, I haven't even got going with that yet. And that's okay. What we don't want you to feel is a sense of pressure and expectation to fulfill some of the things that I'm going to talk about today. Each of us is on a journey, we're at different places But what we do want to encourage you in is to the fullness of each of these things. Because it's how we find life in Jesus. 
And so for you to flourish as an image bearer of God, these are some of the things that you'll do. And you might be thinking, gosh, I, I'm gonna, I struggle with that. I find that really difficult. But we're all learning, aren't we? We're all on different places on our journey. And what we're saying is we want us to find fullness of life in these six things. Um, but please don't feel them uh, or hear them as expectations, pressures, burdens. But we do want to be a church family that encourages each of us to flourish in them and living life to the fullness that Jesus offers. And we commit to these things by grace, don't we? And the way that it works is, first we experience the grace of God, and then we continue working out our salvation and living as part of the church by grace. We don't ever kind of move away from grace, oh, grace saved me, and now I kind of like have to struggle and fight my way through it. No, it's grace each and every day to live and follow Jesus. Um, and we receive and live by that grace every day. We don't work to achieve a sense of commitment. And to do that, we're just going to start, unusually, I just thought it would be helpful to start by breaking bread uh, together, just at the start of the preach. Just because, first of all, before we start to think about what our commitment to Jesus in as part of the church looks like, first we need to be reminded that he is first of all committed to us. And that's the basis of our commitment to him, isn't it? He is first committed to us. I read this uh, this week. When we tear the bread and pour the wine, we don't do it to show God how serious we are about him. In fact, I could say that about all the things we're going to speak about today. We don't worship or give or uh, pray in order um, to show God we're serious about him. We do it to be shocked afresh at how serious God is about us. We don't prepare the table to give something to God. We prepare it to receive life from God. We're not taking communion to show Jesus that we'll be faithful to him. We're celebrating the fact that Jesus is faithful to us. Jesus invites us to drink deeply from his life and to feast together upon his love. For it is he who makes us whole. That's good, isn't it? So um, why don't we um, each go and um, take a piece of bread, maybe get it for the person next to you as well, so less of us have to get up. Uh, grab a piece of bread and a cup of wine and come back to our seats and then we'll break bread all together. Is that all right? And then we'll get on looking at the, the rest of the talk today. So let's do that and then we'll, we'll break bread in a second. All right, let me pr- I'm going to pray that quote through, um, but just as if we were praying it to God. Lord God, when we tear the bread and pour the wine... We're not doing it to show you how serious we are about you. We're doing it to be shocked afresh at how serious you are about us in Christ, on the cross, dying for us, your body broken, your blood shed in our place for our sins. We don't prepare the table this morning to give to you. Um, We don't come to give something to you. We prepare it to receive life from you. We're taking um, bread and wine this morning to show you, Lord Jesus. Uh, not, we're not taking bread and wine this morning to show you, Lord Jesus, that we'll be faithful to you. We're celebrating the fact that you, Lord Jesus, are faithful to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, you have invited us to drink deeply from your life and to feast together upon your love for us. For it is you who has made us whole.
Shall we eat the bread and drink the wine together? So, Lord God, just as we look at what commitment, our commitment to you looks like, help us keep, first of all, in mind that you are committed to us, and it's on that basis that we respond to your commitment and your seriousness um, with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wonderful. Uh, Acts 2, we're in verses 42 to 47. Uh, yeah, I'm clicking, but it's not moving along. We could just be batteries, but um, Bruce, do you mind helping and seeing if it's something, something's up? Okay, Acts 2, 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread, just as we've done, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what does what do we see in this passage in terms of what commitment to Jesus and to his people look uh, looks like what is an appropriate response to the Lord's commitment to us and I've got six not exhaustive but key and important things that bring us life as a body I bring us life as a body and the first one thanks Bruce the first one is to do life together to do life together it says in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the fellowship to the fellowship. We use that term here sometimes, don't we? If you've been around for years, you'll refer to the fellowship, which refers to us as a church when we use it, doesn't it? In verse 46, it says that they were in one another's homes. Because Christian life, for following Jesus, isn't a solitary life, is it? It's a communal one. Jesus saves you, and immediately you're part of a family, one that you didn't choose again. <laughs> and you get to live life out with church family. But what does this term fellowship, the fellowship, or sometimes you might hear people say, let's have some fellowship. What do those things mean? That word is translated from a Greek word, koinonia. And that term means an interactive relationship between God and us as believers who together share a life, a new life together in Christ. It involves our participation, our activity, like was being prophesied earlier. Um, we're not passive, but active in this relationship. And Cornonia talks speaks of a deep level of friendship and of connection to each other. And I talked about that at the beginning of the series when we looked at living life together in friendship. So how do we work out this new relationship, this, these new friendships? How do we participate? How do we give and receive in this new relationship in Christ? Well, one of the ways that we do that here at uh, New Life or life you know what's going to happen, don't you? As soon as we change our name, every morning, one of us will get up and go, welcome to New Life. And you'll go, no. <laughs> welcome to Life Church. It'll take, it'll take some time, isn't it? But how do we work that out at Life Church Beckles? In house groups. Doing life together. Um, house groups it can very easily become just another meeting, can't they? 
just something you attend on that particular night or slot in a week, and that's when you go and you meet with other people. But house group is just a smaller version of what we're doing here. It's church family in miniature, in relationships that you can sustain. It'd be very difficult if we tried to sustain relationships with all of us really meaningfully, wouldn't it? That wouldn't be possible for most of us. Um, But in house groups, we can know one another deeply. We can have this kind of um, active participation in one another's lives, loving one another, uh, connecting with one another through Jesus. So we want our house groups to feel like family, to feel like friends together on a mission, like it's not just another meeting in the week where you do a bunch of things, but you don't really get to know one another. Um, I was reminded of, um, of the importance of this as I was reading this book, The Spirit-Filled Church by Terry Virgo, and he talks about his experience when he became a Christian, um, which I think hits at what I'm talking about here. He says, When I was converted, I lost all my friends. As teenagers, we'd grown up together. We enjoyed marvellous experiences, and our friendship was very real. Late into the night, we would talk about our innermost hopes and fears. It broke my heart when none of them wanted to come with me into my newfound Christian life. I often wept for them in prayer, and after a while I began to weep for myself. I was lonely. It was wonderful to know my sins were forgiven and that I was going to heaven, but life was miserable in the here and now. On Sundays I was inspired by the minister's wonderful preaching, but I was lost in the crowd and nobody seemed to notice me. Gradually, as time slipped by, I grew in experience and found that this was true for so many. Formal acquaintance seemed to be the standard in church. People who had known one another for years were still on handshake and surname terms. Real friendship, such as I'd grown up with and so valued, was almost entirely missing. After a couple of years, I was received into membership and received the right hand of fellowship, but nothing changed. The Christian life, therefore, seemed to be a matter of losing all my old friends and in their place simply attending meetings. In the agony of my loneliness, I threw myself into every meeting available. But in all this, no friends. But when people began to meet in homes, sharing their newfound charismatic experience, they started finding natural friendship again. The very informality of the front room was so different from always meeting in the church building on its hard, upright pews or chairs. That kind of gets at what what we want in church life here, is that sense of friendship. That's why we aim at informality, doing it on purpose. Because we want this to feel like our living room, where we're gathered together as family. Not an organisation or a meeting that people are attending. And that's what we want our house groups to feel like as well. So two questions for those of us in house groups and those of us yet to find one. Firstly, for those of us who've yet to find one, perhaps what's the thing that's getting in the way of doing life with others? What's the thing that gets in the way of doing life with others? And is there anything we can do to help you find your place to do life with others? Because it It may be something about the way that house group is that makes it very difficult. Perhaps it's the time that it meets. Perhaps it's the way that the way that we meet. Perhaps it's, um, I don't know, there's something that can be done to help you find your 
weigh in. There's something to think about. And for those of us who already are, what can we do to make house groups feel not just like another meeting, but a group of friends who are living life together? And uh, in the coming years, I guess what we'll do is go on a bit of a journey of trying to think about what that actually looks like. What are the things that have to stay the same? Because we want to live life together as church family and friendship. We want to learn to be like Jesus and live like him. We want to love God with worship and service and love Beckles and beyond with words, works and wonders. But how that happens within your group could look very different. And we want to be as flexible as possible, don't we? So that all can be made to feel at home, find life and be living life together. Um, And this is foundational because lots of the other things that I'm going to talk about this morning can only be done with other people. (laughs) And so if if you're not in a house group and not doing life with others, the other things are going to be very difficult to do on a regular basis uh, throughout uh, the week. So that's the first thing, to do life together. The second thing is to pray. It says in verse 42, they were devoted to the prayers. Uh, And as a community of believers together, we want to be devoted to prayer, don't we? And primarily, in Scripture, prayer is corporate. It's something you do with other people. Um, We can sometimes think of prayer as being primarily private. Because Jesus says, doesn't he, about going into the room and closing the door. And we've heard encouragements recently about going into the secret place. And how vital it is for our life with God to be... Um, to be kind of, you know, full of life in order for us to do anything else. And there is something really key and important about that. Um, But when we look at scripture, if we open up the center of our Bibles, we turn to a prayer book, don't we? What's that? The Psalms. And who are the Psalms written for? The people of God when they gathered. Those prayers in the Psalms are primarily for the people of God um, to pray through as they're gathered as a people. How does Jesus teach us to pray? How does he start? My father? My father who's in heaven. No, he prays, gets us to pray. Our father. It's a corporate prayer. One for us to be praying together when we do. Most of the examples in prayer in Acts are what? The church all gathered together, praying together into whatever's going on. And the instructions given to churches to pray. In the letters, if you think about Paul's letters, who's he primarily most of the time writing to? A church, a body of people, and telling them pray. Not to individuals. So corporate prayer is a really important aspect of church life. And prayer is for everyone, isn't it? It's not for the professionals. There's no prayer specialists in the church. There was a time, actually, where you kind of get the language of, that person's a real intercessor. That person's a prayer warrior. And I think what we mean by that is that that person's really committed to it. I, they, they do it a lot. But there's no gift for intercession in the Bible. It's an activity for everyone. We're all to do it. In fact, Paul says that we all pray in our weakness. And what he's really saying is that we're all not very good at it. And, but the Spirit helps us to pray. There isn't kind of anybody, you know, there aren't professionals or specialists, and we kind of leave it to them. They'll carry the rest of the church um, in prayer for us. So corporate prayer, in reality, is meant to be accessible to all. Uh, I suspect 
for some of us, going to a prayer meeting where you're just going to pray is a fairly intimidating idea. Because you're going to sit there for an hour and a half, 7.30 till 9, maybe a little less. And basically the entirety of it is either going to be somebody introducing what we're praying about or praying. And if you don't feel comfortable about praying out loud in a group, that's an hour and a half of sitting silently, which you might not be up for. And that can be understood, can't it? But in order to meaningfully participate in a prayer meeting, or when we're praying here on Sundays or in house groups, what do you need to do? Two things. Listen to what's said and say amen at the end. Now, if that's a prayer meeting, who can do that? I can do that. If I'm totally exhausted by a day out, if the kids have wrung me dry, if me and Jess have been having like at each other all day, and I think I am at the end of myself, I am not up for a prayer meeting, but I know I can still go. I mean, actually, if I'm leading it, I probably need to do a bit more than listen and say amen. (laughs) But I know if somebody else is, at least I can just sit there, listen, and go, amen to that. It's accessible to all. So if you're feeling like that about prayer, be encouraged. Turn up, say amen at the end, and you've prayed with us. And one of the things that um, Mike Betts has really been helping us with, he's written a, a book called Prayers of Many, and started this Prayers of Many movement that we're a part of. And we have these Prayers of Many nights that are happening. There's the next one's I think, coming up in February in Elsham. I'm actually leading it, so if anyone wants to come along and fill the room, that would be great. And, um, and we're doing that because corp Corporate prayer is important, and it matters how many people are there. It does. It matters how many people are there. When we gather to pray as a church, if you're just turning up to listen and say amen, that matters. Nobody's sitting there thinking, they aren't praying. You're in the room, you've said amen, you're praying, and we're glad that you're there. And it matters how many of us are there, because the army of God marches on its knees. I mean, literally, we don't kneel all the time. So, don't have to worry about that either. Anyway, I'm rambling now. What was I going to say? It's, prayer's important, isn't it? Because it, it exercises our faith muscles as a church. Because we don't always see the result or achievement or the fruit straight away. Lots of the things we do in life, you do it, you see the result. I put the stuff in the washing machine, occasionally, and out <laughs> it comes clean. You see the fruit. But with prayer, we have to exercise faith, don't we? Because when we pray, we don't see it immediately. We've been praying for ages through this five-tailed square thing. And eventually, you see the fruit, or some fruit of it. Yeah? But we keep praying, knowing that it is going to happen. It's a bit like a coal engine. When you throw the coal into the engine of a train, I don't know this because I've never driven a coal steam train, but you throw the coal in, do you immediately see steam? And does the train start moving? No, it needs to burn, doesn't it, and get up to a certain temperature. But it's inevitable, isn't it? The coal will make the train move eventually. And it's the same with prayer. There's an inevitability about it. You pray together, things happen. Because we're praying to a God, as we've uh, been hearing about, who is faithful and capable. So we pray in house groups, we pray once a month all together, we get all the house groups together on a Wednesday evening where you only have to turn up, listen and say amen. And weekly on Zoom, uh, every mo- Monday morning from nine to half nine um, to pray. Spurgeon said this once, we must have an outpouring of real devotion in prayer. 
or else what is to become of many of our churches? We must have an outpouring of real devotion, or else what is to become of many of our churches? Let's pray together. Third thing is, let's serve together. Uh, Verse 44, it talks about them having all things in common. Verse 45, they're meeting each other's needs. Verse 46, they're receiving food from one another. Um, People had plans for Jesus' life, didn't they? Plans that he didn't have. People were kind of conjoling him into kind of being what they expected him to be. Most expected him to be this warrior king who would defeat Israel's enemies and restore them to glory and victory. And Jesus' plans were this. The Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve. And then we see that scene in John 13, where the disciples are sat around at the Passover meal. And the context is they're celebrating God's freeing his people from their enemies in Egypt, which is what Jesus has come to do, free people from their enemies. How will Jesus achieve this? That's the context of the meal. Jesus takes his outer garments off. He picks up a towel and wraps it round his waist. He puts water in a basin and he washes filthy feet. Doesn't sound very warrior king-like. These were Jesus' plans for his life. And he says to his disciples at that meal, I'm your Lord and Master and I've washed your feet. Nobody's greater than their Master, i.e. you're not greater than me. And he says to them, do the same for others. Verse 15, I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. I wonder what the plans you have for your life are, what all perhaps other people have for your life. What are the big designs? Jesus has greater plans for you. And metaphorically, it involves washing people's filthy feet. That's his plan for you. Goff had this wonderful phrase at Kings. He used all the time. It was a bit of a King's motto. And I'd love it to be a, a motto at Life Church Beckles. Give your life away serving others. Give your life away serving others. That's how we find life in Jesus. It's giving our life away serving others. So do our plans align with Jesus' plans? For us to serve. Are there other things in our life which need to stop or change or we need to say no to in order to follow Jesus and serve him and his purposes? And what would serving look like at Life Church? Serving on teams, in house groups, using our God-given gifts and abilities and experience to serve to achieve Jesus' aim for us. That's how we find life together. The fourth thing, we give. Verse 45, it says, selling possessions and distributing proceeds. They were, they were using what they had in order to make sure everyone had what they needed. They were sacrificing material wealth to give generously. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 16 that the churches developed this habit where they set aside money every week and gathered it together, stored their finances in order to serve mission and particularly to give to the poor. And then we read this in 1 Timothy. If you've got a Bible, maybe, because I'm going to read a little bit out of this. We're in 1 Timothy 6. If you want to turn there. 1 Timothy 6. 
and I'm reading from verse 6. This is Paul writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. Um, He's getting Timothy to kind of help the church move on in its mission. And this is what he says to him about um, helping those who are rich in the church. Which, in the context of the worldwide church, is probably the majority of us here, isn't it? And these are instructions to us. Now, there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They're to do good, be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures, uh, sorry, storing up treasure for themselves as a, found, a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. The accumulation of wealth for its own sake is meaningless, because we arrive into the world with nothing, and what do you leave with? Nothing. I often told that story about two ladies at a funeral, and one says to the other, did you hear how much he left? And the other one said, everything. Because you can't take anything with you. We leave it all behind, so we'd be content with living simply. We'd be wary of falling into temptation money offers and the cravings it satisfies. That feeling of comfort, I've got enough money so I can live comfortably. The feelings of status. The wealth brings a status in our society, doesn't it? People think of you differently depending on how much money you have often. It can bring a sense of security, can't it? I don't have to worry too much in life, not be anxious, because I've got this much stored in the bank, and if anything were to go wrong, I can sort it out. A sense of false hope and certainty. Money comes with it a whole bunch of temptations we're to be wary with about. And how do we deal with those temptations? Paul encourages Timothy, tell them, be rich in good works, be generous, be ready to share what you have. Because Jesus said simply, it's better to give than to receive. When you give into the mission of God, into church life, into what we're doing, that's better, Jesus says than it is to receive. So we'd encourage people to give financially um, to what we're about as a church, whether that be weekly or monthly, depending on how your income comes in. And there's multiple ways that you can do that. The best way is to bank transfer the money into the church account. You can do it by cash on Sundays. There's some boxes as you come in through the door. Or you can give a check to Janet. Janet, you want to give us a way... Janet does, like Rod says, a wonderful job of administrating our finances. If you're unsure about how to give, if you speak to Janet, she can help you to do that. I'm just going to pause for a minute because it's really important. We go back to the thing that we said at the beginning. 
which is God is seriously committed to us and he has given everything for us in self, hasn't he? And we don't. All of us are at different places. Some of us are thinking, I mean, we all feel, <laughs> you don't ever get to the point, probably, unless you've literally given everything away, where you think, I could grow in, I couldn't grow in this anymore. I'm giving away literally everything I could. Um, it's always something that you're growing in. For some of us, we're going to be thinking, actually, that's really quite difficult to give money away. I find that really hard. Remember that each of us is on different parts of the journey. For some of us, uh, maybe you're in the habit of giving over a number of years, and it's something you know, you're doing well in. For some of us, we just need to get going in it, and clicking you know, confirm on 1p into the church account will be a step forward for us. So whatever it looks like for you, Give. Jesus says it's better to give than it is to receive. Five. Worship. Verse 46. They attend the temple. It's a place of worship at the center of life for God's people. Verse 47 in the passage it says that they're praising God. Worship's a lifestyle, but here we're ta- I'm talking mostly about um, sing our sung worship together. Here's some quotes for you. Ella Fitzgerald says this. There's only one thing better than singing. More singing. Rihanna says, I love singing. It doesn't feel like a chore. It's an expression. Martin Luther said, as long as there's life, there's never enough singing. Another person noted that strangers in a lift can stand silently and not looking at each other for a very long lift ride. But if the same strangers are on a dance floor singing, I don't know, living on a prayer, they look like the best of friends, don't they? They're hugging. They're singing the song together. There's something about singing, isn't there? Well, Colin Firth says this. Maybe this is how you feel. My singing is more like a drunken apology or a plumbing problem. <laughs> and there's a line in uh, Saving, Private, Saving Private Ryan that says this. Singing is a way of escaping. It's another world. I'm no longer on earth. Why is singing so important to us when we gather? There's huge amounts of efforts go to get us to sing th- this morning. You know, people arrive very early. I say people. Paul arrives very early in the morning to set up the PA for us. Musicians get here very early to practice, to prepare the songs for us. Why do we go to so much effort just to sing? Well, what's going on for most of us on a Sunday morning? Perhaps you just had a a little bit of a snappy conversation in the car. I'm sure not all the time, but occasionally. Maybe another driver cut you up. Maybe you're just struggling in life and those things are kind of consuming your thoughts. Maybe your mind is just buffeted by all sorts. Maybe you're thinking about going to see the football this afternoon and watching Norwich beat Blackburn in the FA Cup. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever it might be consuming your mind. (laughs) We all need, don't we, our hearts and our minds and our gaze lifted to see the brilliance of God, don't we? We need that at least once a week. We really need it every day. We want to worship him in response, meet him in the moment. When we're singing together, God speaks to us. He encourages us. We hear his voice as we've been doing this morning. And we give him worship because he's worthy and he deserves our praise. And it's what we're going to be doing for eternity, isn't it? It's good to come together and sing and worship because that's the thing we're going to do for eternity. We're going to be singing praise and worship to God. 
It reminds us of why we're gathered. It reminds us of who's gathered us. It reminds us the purpose for which we are gathered for. And so we make it a priority to gather, to worship together. It says in Hebrews, not neglecting to meet together as some in the habit of doing. But we want to be together worshipping. Final one. Verse 47, it says, having favour with all the people. It talks earlier in the passage as well, doesn't it? Verse 43, about wonders and signs being done. And then it says at the end, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And we've previously done a whole series, haven't we, in Acts on witnessing and how the early church witnessed to Jesus what they knew of him in words, the things they said, in works, the things that they did for others, and in wonders, in the miraculous signs and wonders. And the impact for the early church was favour with the surrounding community and salvation. Uh, if you take this passage in isolation, it all sounds like roses, doesn't it? But we know if, if you read the rest of Acts, there's, they experienced suffering and the letters, suffering, opposition. They were thought of as disloyal Jews, essentially. Many of them were outcasts from their families or the community. And it's currently, it's a bit slow going in our nation, isn't it? Yeah? We're not setting up every week for a baptism, are we? We're not. In the early church, they, if they were gathering once a week, they were setting up for baptism every week for at least seven people. Probably more. But, and actually, if you go to other places in the world, baptisms on a regular basis, weekly, is fairly normal. There's something going on in our nation where there's a bit of a blockage, isn't there, in that? Something's not quite right. Normal, Christi- healthy Christianity and church mission isn't going on for some reason. And the way that we deal with that, I think, is we pray and we witness. We pray and witness, pray and witness and persevere in it. Playing our part in changing the turning of the tide. How can we do that? Well, um, one of the ways is just to be intentional. Be aware of who our people of peace are. You know those people who seem to be receiving you. They kind of you've got friendship with them. They're interested in your life, in your faith. Perhaps you have conversations with them about it, whether that's positive or negative. But they're up for talking about it, responsive. It's to know who those people are, be praying for them, and to continue thinking about how we witness to them. Praying for them to come to know Jesus, just as we have to experience the goodness of knowing him. So regularly in house groups, like for example in ours, every couple of months or so we'll have a night where we just talk about how our witness is going. We share about our people of peace, where we're at on the journey with them, and we pray for them to come to know Jesus, because we want them to know him and uh, the goodness of knowing him. So that's the six things. We do life together. We pray, serve, give, worship, and witness. But it'd be good to think about... Do you mind switching to the other one, Bruce? Just as we finish, to think about how do we literally commit ourselves to Life Church Beckles. Um, and Bruce is just going to put a, a sheet up on the screen. Um, because obviously, there's a lot of us here, isn't there? And we want to renew and refresh our sense of commitment. Don't worry if you can't read it. Um, we'll send it out by email and then we'll have them available next week. Um, 
there's a lot of us here, isn't there? So realistically, for each and every one of us to try and, to, for us as elders to try and meet with every single one of you is not really realistic. And honestly, it's not needed, is it? Because for many of us, we're committed to church life, have been for years. Many of us are serving in key areas. And it, all it needs is a phone call to say, thanks for saying you're committed. I kind of hoped you were. You're leading our outreach to care homes. Or you're leading worship. <laughs> so glad you said you're up for committing. You're kind of already in, really. Um, you've kind of committed yourself. Um, for some of us, maybe more new to church, and you want to take time to sit down uh, with us, with a couple of leaders, to talk things through. You've got questions and so on. And we do that. Perhaps you've been part of the church for years, but you'd still really appreciate just talking with one of us. Um, so we've designed this basically for people who would typically be new to the church, maybe been around for a month or two, got to know us a bit, and wanted to know how to be part of the church here and how to commit. And then we'd give them, we'd uh, do what we've just done throughout the whole Discover Life series, but at an event or maybe through some videos. And we would say, hey, this is what we're about as a church, making disciples of Jesus who live, learn, love, etc. And we take them through what we've just done the whole series on. Uh, perhaps on a Sunday afternoon or an evening or something like that. And then at the end of it, they'd fill this out and then we'd think about what the next best step for them is in helping them into life church. And the next step for us here and for people who are new to us could be a variety of things, couldn't it? It could be meet with two leaders and talk things through. It could be a phone call to say, glad you're on board. It could be helping them find a house group. Perhaps they've started coming on Sundays, hadn't really found their way into church life and started to build friendships. Um, perhaps it's talking through what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe they're kind of generally showing an enthusiasm for being part of the church, but haven't really committed themselves to Jesus. So be helping them with that. It could be a number of things. So what we'll do is, um, there's, there's four sections to it. I'll just um, talk you through them. Uh, this section on the right-hand side, you don't need to be able to read it. We'll provide them next week, and we'll maybe we'll send them out in e-news as well so you can see it beforehand. Um, the part one is to tell us about yourself, so we've got key information that we can store, and you know, when it's your 80th birthday, we can send you a card and flowers to celebrate it. Or your 18th, depending on where you're at. Um, part two, which is on the next page, is about your journey. It's about whether they've committed themselves to becoming a follower of Jesus, whether you have whether you've uh, been baptised by total immersion as a believer or intending to be, whether you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit or I'm seeking the gift of the Holy Spirit. For some of us, some people have all sorts of questions when that gets answered. Like when I filled something similar out at King's, it said the gift of the Holy Spirit. And honestly, I was like, well, I don't know what they mean by that. In fact, they use the language of baptised in the Holy Spirit. And I was like, oh, I'm not really sure. So I got to write in the form. We've got questions about that. Can we talk that through? And they were able to explain what they mean by it. Yeah. So if you've, if those things raise questions, there's a section there at the bottom to put your questions um, uh, to us. And part three is about how to make home. So I, it says, uh, I've joined a house group. The leaders are, so we know who you've, who you've connected with. Or I would like to join, be connected to a house group, and then we can help people connect to one. I'd be interested in serving the following areas of church life. 
Um, so maybe you're not part of a house group, but you've been part of the church for years. Then we could sit down and have a conversation about the questions that I asked earlier. What are the things that get in the way of you being part of a house group? Is it the way that house groups are? Is it a personal obstacle that's unique to you? What, what is it? And just think about how we can serve you, you well. And then um, people can let us know if there's areas of church life they'd like to serve in, and then we can connect them with the people who lead those various areas. So if they want to serve in as part of the worship team, then we'd say to Joy, hey, so-and-so said they're, they're keen to get involved with the worship team, and we can connect them with Joy. So-and-so says they want to be part of the children's work. We pass them on to Heather, so on. Does that make sense? And then um, if you scroll up, Bruce... Um, the final bit is uh, just putting our aim clearly. On the language, we had been saying live life together as church family, which we just felt was quite a worthy way of saying live as church family. So we've shortened that. Um, and then a, a statement of commitment, which reads like this. I would like to commit to Life Church Beckles. I understand what commitment looks like, because we've all done the Discover Life series, or they will have done an evening or an afternoon and heard about it. Uh, accept the biblically-based values on which the church is being built, and I'm eager to play my part in our big aim. I acknowledge that God has provided leaders in the church to lead, feed, and care for us. I recognize the authority God has given them and receive their leadership. I agree that church is about loving God, loving one another, and being a witness to Jesus in the world. I'll therefore make our Sunday gatherings doing life with house group, serving and loving those inside and outside the church family, a priority. I'm committed to giving and a praying into accomplishing our big aim. And uh, a lot of that is kind of off the back of what I shared when I talked about why commitment's important. It's that sense of explicit agreement between those who are coming into the church and us as elders, that we understand what commitment looks like. And there's a sense of agreement in that. And that there's a moment where we kind of sign things and say, yeah, there's a moment, hey, sealed, you're part of the church, we welcome and receive you. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. If you've got any questions about any of this when it comes out, then simply fill it out and say you've got a question. We can meet and talk it through. We can send us an email. Does that make sense? Sorry I didn't have this in front of you. We did print them out. We just uh, failed to do it in a way which would be meaningful. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. I hoped that you would have them in front of you and you'd be able to read them, but we will do that next week, and I'll, you'll, you'll each have one in front of you so you can see what it is and take it away with you. Sorry about that. That's an admin uh, hash. <laughs> I didn't say your name, Nigel. Nobody would have known, mate. All right. Okay, we were going to come back to worship, but I think uh, with it being five past twelve, I'll pray, and then we'll, um, we'll we'll head off. Lord God, we thank you that you are committed to us. We thank you that in Christ on the cross, we see that you have gone to every length, even to death on a cross in human flesh, in order to show that you are faithful to us. You're committed to us. You're serious about relationship with us. Thank you so much for drawing us into relationship with you. Lord, we say these are, um, help us understand these things, not as a pressure and an expectation, but help us live by grace to know that you have done everything for us. But help us also do the things um, that you've encouraged us to in order to find life in you. 
We want to live life, Lord, as a church in all its fullness. Please help us do that um, wherever each of us is at on our journey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.